the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. A couple things about education. First of all, I'm delighted that uh, that Republicans and conservatives have woken up to the cause of education. Uh, no, you don't need a Department of Education to do it, obviously. The greatest reforms do not come from the Department of Education. I'm not even sure. In fact, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that there is no constitutional authority for the Department of Education. That having been said, a couple things I want to get to, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure which one is um, worse than the other. But um, we had a caller, uh, was it Rick earlier, who was telling me that on Dennis's show they were talking about crying on campus. And I didn't hear it, unfortunately, and I didn't see it uh, on Dennis's uh, website. So I just started searching around because. It's a topic I I hadn't thought about since uh, Donald Trump won the election and students needed safe spaces. But I did find in the Collegiate Times a story from a a little while ago that there are now crying sound booths on colleges. Crying sound booths. They they look like – they look a little bit like if you've ever been in the airport – and you see these 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 little pods where where women can feed their children. They look like that. They look like that. And and they're and they're placed evidently on a bunch of different college campuses. Um, I see an article from the Daily Illinois in the Independent Student Newspaper at the University of Illinois. Uh, best places to cry on campus. Uh, I almost wonder – I mean I'm looking at all these stories about crying on campus. There's a lot of them. I didn't realize that there was such an epidemic of, uh, of uh, lacrimose sentiment on the college campuses. I, I mean I, I wanted to cry when I got my textbook on graduate-level methodology. I'll tell you that much, but I suppressed the notion and, and opened the book. Um, there, there's obviously always – always – a, a, a good reason for the pe- the emotions that people express, and those emotions are even proper, uh, properly ordered at times. It is there are right times to be sad. There are right times to be happy. There is a time for war, and there is a time for peace. There's a time for a lot of different things. But once this epid- epidemic of crying on campuses, I almost wonder if the CDC should dispatch people to the college campuses. To find out what this epidemic of depression is 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 about and how to arrest it, un- unless they don't take depression seriously anymore, 
I, I think that is actually the problem. It's not that the CDC doesn't take depression seriously anymore, although they're doing a great deal to engender more of it. It's not that. It's that we've confused and the children have been confused on the order of morum, the order of loves, as uh, Aquinas put it, and the order of emotions. It's a fine needle to thread, Heather Haying writes, giving children enough space to make their own decisions and mistakes and protecting them from real danger. Our societal pendulum has swung too far to one side to protecting children against all risk and harm such that many who come of age under this paradigm feel that everything is a threat, that they need safe spaces, that words are violence. By comparison, children with exposure to diverse experiences, physical, psychological, intellectual, learn what is possible and become more expansive. It is imperative that children experience discomfort in each of these realms, physical, psychological, and intellectual. Absent that, they end up full-grown but confused about what harm actually is. They end up being children in the bodies of adults. That's what biologist Heather Hing wrote. And I believe that is what explains probably better than anything else the crying from the non-crying, the lacrimal from the non-lacrimal on our college campuses. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know how many different signs we're supposed to see until we wake up to the cultural revolution that's taking place in our very midst. But I do hope at least for now people realize it is being accomplished by using and misusing children, by on the one hand taking away their childhood in exposing them to far too many adult themes, far too many. Years ago, Michael Medved wrote a book about this having to do with pornography in youth, but it's expanded so far beyond that. Having lost that battle, let us say, it has expanded so far beyond that. Of course, the music and the games children play is part and parcel of this, but but so too so too is the massive exposure to themes that the adult brain has a hard enough time grasping much less the prepubescent brain the childhood and adolescent brain or the 5-year-old brain much less things like changing gender gender fluidity things like uh, uh ra- ra- race mattering as between you and your friends Someone asked the other day what a child would do taught in the new critical race theory that whiteness is the problem when they have one parent of a non-white race and the other parent who's white, which is something that the modern left tries to deny even as, if it, even as it was the liberal project of yesteryear to make that a constitutional, foundational, fundamental freedom to be able to marry whoever you want, ir- ir- uh, irrespective of skin color. In fact, a movie was recently made about that, wasn't it? The case of Loving versus Virginia, if memory serves. This, this, is, this is an interesting problem, that 
20-year-olds, 20-year-olds now need crying booths, crying pods on campus. Yeah, I know. This is when people start. You're right. This is Bill was signaling me. This is when people start sending me pictures of what 19-year-olds were doing in 1944 in places called Normandy versus what 19-year-olds are doing now and whether the 19-year-olds of now could handle. I always, I always, I have to share with you, want to want to be a little bit diffident on this subject, a little bit, because we've had these concerns for a while, and they are now, of course, different in not just degree and magnitude, but in kind. They're far different than they were, you know, something like 20 years ago. But a lot of us had concerns about our young adults after 9-11, and boy, did they show us. They showed us. But it is the 19- and 20-year-olds of today who now see those 40-year-olds or 30-year-olds, I guess 40-year-olds, who now see those 40-year-olds and have nothing in common with them, nothing, very little, very little. And, 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 and this is really the cultural revolution that has taken place. I, I've been remarking lately on this in respect to the vaccine, uh, the vaccine orders for children starting at age five. This, of course, followed the corruption of children by masking them at ages younger than five and up, when indeed those are the very things that are truly sending them to the emergency departments, not COVID, but the fear and the anxiety and the depression and so many other parades of horribles that come from the mental health fields that children are just not used to being dragged into at the snap of a finger, never mind erasing their entire social life and educational life for a year. The French the French, uh, the French writer who said all revolutions eat their children, that's a partial quote. The full quote is, like Saturn, comma, all revolutions eat their children. I've been saying this for a while because I think it's important we understand it. We have become a society that is afraid of its children. We have become a society that has taken Stephen King and the children of the corn as an exception for some form of perverse entertainment and made it a norm that we all are now supposed to just blithely live with. A society that fears its children is a society that doesn't deserve to have any more. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Staying with education for a moment. Thank you, listener Steve, for sending this my way from the uh, Daily Caller. Arizona School Board police coordinated to spy on and arrest concerned parents. Before I read further, let me give you the headline again. Arizona School Board police coordinated to spy on and arrest concerned parents. I don't know how many of you saw the movie about Edward R. Murrow called Good Night and Good Luck. But there's a poignant scene in that movie. I'm working off memory, but it's, it's I, I think, pretty close to the scene. Liter- uh, 
uh, verbatim, is Edward R. Murrow was on a campaign against anti-communism, blacklists, and Joe McCarthy. He was against all that. And he was describing to a colleague someone who got fired for being a communist. And the friend said, but that's not Joe McCarthy's doing. And without missing a beat, Edward R. Murrow said, isn't it? I'm thinking about that when I see this story, when one knows that the United States Attorney General has issued a memo to law enforcement and the FBI to monitor and surveil parents at school board meetings. And he may deny, as he did last week, that he's acted on it other than the memo. He may deny it. But I almost want to ask the Edward R. Murrow question. Who is this? Sorry, I almost want to ask the Edward R. Murrow question, isn't it? Isn't it what Merrick Garland said? When the U.S. Attorney General puts out a note, puts out a statement, promulgates an order that the FBI, in coordination with local law enforcement, is going to start monitoring school, more and more school board meetings, you know, you can't be surprised when you see Arizona School Board and police coordinated to spy on an arrest concerned parents. I'll give you the story. An Arizona School Board coordinated with the Chandler Police Department to gather information on concerned parent groups and arrest unmasked parents at school board meetings. The Chandler Unified School District Director of School Safety was in communication with Sergeant Jed uh, Sergeant Greg Howarth, a Chandler police officer, in April and May as parents were protesting mandatory masking in schools, according to emails obtained by the blog Not in Our Schools. Howarth was tasked with aggregating intelligence on local concerned parent groups, all of whom are adamantly opposed to critical race theory-inspired curriculum being taught in the district. Got that? Howarth was tasked with aggregating intelligence better way to put it is the police were tasked with putting together intelligence on local concerned parent groups, all of whom are adamantly opposed to critical race theory-inspired curriculum being taught in the district. Before I go further, let me ask you, what is triggering here local law enforcement surveilling concerned parent groups interested in critical race theory? I mean, it sounds to me like the worst kind of caricatures of J. Edgar Hoover, most of which actually weren't true, but you know what I'm talking about with his surveillance of political opponents. That's what it sounds – there is nothing illegal, never mind unconstitutional, nothing illegal yet, yet. For parent groups, local or national, don't care, getting together because they're opposed to critical race theory-inspired curriculum. It is no more illegal, never mind unconstitutional, it is no more illegal to surveil parents doing that than it would be to surveil parents 
reading anything by Harper Lee or, for that matter, anything on the Oprah Winfrey book list. In fact, if there's anything unconstitutional at all here, it is the surveilling by the state of parents who are exercising nothing more than their privacy and speech rights. More. On May 4th, Chandler Unified School District's Director of School Safety notified the police that one of the agenda items at an upcoming May 12th governing board meeting was about mask mandates. This director said that she was patrolling social media to see which parent groups were attending and asked police, if you hear anything specific, can you please let us know? That's in quotes. So use the police, use the apparatus of the state, use the law enforcement apparatus of the state to tip off the schools to do their patrolling for the schools, their patrolling of online and social media presences so that the schools can have a heads up or a notification that a parent or a group of parents disagrees with them. Hours later, police said that he had access to the websites of concerned parent groups and would be, quote, monitoring all of them and updating the district. I actually can see the email saying so. I am on it and have access to their sites. I will begin monitoring all of them and keep you posted. In a separate email, the school official told the police that Chandler Unified School District governing board, a specific governing board member, was in conversations with another school board member in a separate district who had access to a parent Facebook group. The first school board member's inside source claimed that Chandler Unified governing board meeting would be the next quote-unquote target of parent activists who wanted to end mandatory masking. By the end of May, the Chandler Police Department had an intelligence operation on parents underway. Does that make you feel safe? I want, I want more police. I want more funded and more funding for police. I want all of it. I'm with Sal DeCicio on all that stuff. I got to tell you, a story like this helps that cause not at all. Helps that cause not at all. And if any of these police departments are looking for more funding, for more personnel, I'll give them the funding, but I'm going to tell them to shift the personnel. Shift the personnel. Quit monitoring parents' groups concerned about critical race theory. Quit monitoring that and walk a beat. Walk a beat. I love the police. I love them. But every good institution can have bad exceptions I thank them all when I see them. I salute them all when I see them. If they're in a restaurant I'm eating at, they don't pay a bill if they're uniformed or identified. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, this isn't the stuff of J. Edgar Hoover. This isn't the stuff of Joe McCarthy. This is the stuff of Gestapo. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 
5080960. Keith is in Atlanta. Hello, Keith. Hey, Seth. I'm I'm sorry I missed your monologue, which are they're really very good. Uh my wife was in the process of giving me her monologue to me at the time. So I missed it. Anyways. <laughs> Do you get call in and disagreement rights? Um we're not gonna go there. Okay. <laughs> hey, on a serious note. In light of the topics you're talking about with these these school board meetings, but not only that, earlier today Mike Gallagher talked about the January six people that are are locked up and they're not getting due process. But also the thing that Jay Seculo has been talking about what what they're going at the IRS is getting ready to intrude on people's lives. Um Where's the ACLU? This, the ACLU this is dead. Is- the ACLU is the walking dead. It doesn't know it. It's dead. The ACLU traded in everything it used to stand for, for money and wokeness. They are soaking in money. You know why? They found that it's easier to fundraise for abortion rights than for free speech. And if you go to the website, that's what they're about. And teaching critical race theory. That is so sad. It really is. I, I, it really is. Alan Dershowitz used to be on the board. He wrote a piece, uh, used to be on the board of the ACLU. He wrote a piece when he left it, Requiem for the American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah, they just traded everything in that they used to stand for for wokeness. They actually used to defend not just conservatives, but extremes from all sides. They, they, they defended Nazis as much as they defended communists. Exactly right. They stood against government intrusion into people's lives. Yep. They stood for exactly what they were, the Civil Liberties Union. And, it, you know, it's really, I'm proud of Jay Seculo and the Alliance Defending Freedom. Those two groups are bulldogs. They do not take anything from what – they're going to be very busy. With they the defend Biden more civil liberties than the ACLU has in the past 20 years. On any exactly given year, they right. defend more civil liberties than the ACLU in the last 20. And they sure don't get the attention that they really deserve because they are very good organizations. Well, that's why they don't get the attention for which they deserve. <laughs> the media doesn't want you to know where to go when they want to come crashing in on you with the, with the, school, with the, with the with school officials and police. They're not in the business of advertising this anymore. Advertising aren't, aren't civil you, rights. Aren't you just alarmed with what they're going to do with the with the IRS agents? They're going to be. I'm alarmed at all, and, and you raise a really good point, Keith. This is a really good point by raising that because the person who sent me this story about uh, the Chandler uh, Schools and uh, Unified School District and the Chandler Police. Uh, first of all, they are now – I didn't read the whole story. I read parts of it. But they're now in the business, as the story goes on, of surfing websites that are opposed to another website. What's that other website? Parents for Equity and Education. It's a pro-CRT website, a pro-critical race theory website. Please don't care about that. Chandler Unified School District doesn't care about that. What they are doing – is 
surveilling organizations and websites opposed to Parents for Equity in education. They're called, they're called disruptors. Groups like Purple for Parents, which advocates nothing more than the removal of critical race theory inspired education. Think about what is going on now. Think about what is going on now. The schools are calling the tune for the police. The police are dancing to it, but before they dance, they have to spend time understanding what we're supposed to be researching and surveilling and which side. Because I'm sure a lot of them have been trained not to take race into account in their arrests or investigations or any of their civilian interactions. I'm guessing the police are, are trained that way, right? I'm guessing they are. But then comes this, where they have to train themselves exquisitely in understanding who's for and who's against critical race theory, putting them in the business of viewpoint discrimination and investigation. Viewpoint investigation, not criminal investigation, viewpoint investigation. They have to investigate that and do so only by realizing whose race is at stake and becoming more aware of race consciousness than ever before. Shame on them. Well, as long as we're on critical race theory uh, for a moment, yeah, let me uh, let me do this. Uh, you all know who Glenn Lowry is. If you don't, I want you to know who he is. L-O-U-R-Y. You can follow him on Twitter. Glenn Lowry has had a very, very storied academic career uh, as a professor of economics at some of our nation's best schools and everything from Harvard to Brown, where he's situated now. He's now at Brown. He's an African-American, and um, he was speaking at a conference last week, the National Conservatism Conference, and he was talking about why critical race theory has no hold on him. And I'll just give you a segment of how he opened his speech. I'm a patriot who loves his country. I'm a man of the West. I'm an inheritor of its great traditions. I have said this many times, and I'll say it here. Tolstoy is mine. Dickens is mine. Newton, Maxwell, and Einstein are mine. So what are my responsibilities here? I feel compelled to represent the interests of my people. But that reference is not unambiguous. As an intellectual, I seek to know the truth and to speak such truths as I may be given to know. That is my purpose now at a moment of racial reckoning in my country. I declare right here, right now, for all the world to hear that no matter the political turmoil that may envelop us, 
My fundamental responsibility as a black American intellectual is to stay in touch with reality and to insist that others do so as well. I love, I love, I love the notion that Tolstoy is his, that Einstein is his. What are we doing to these kids? We wanted to deprive them of the best the West has produced? Martin Luther King said from Plato and Aristotle down to Rousseau, Hobbes, Bentham, Mill, and Locke were the teachers that planted the seed not of a contemplative life but a life of action, a life of thoughtful devotion to political reform, to the pursuit of justice in the broader sense, equality, liberty, and dignity of all people. If those greatest traditions, never mind what he learned from Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau and civil disobedience, if that stuff, learning, education, great intellectual firmament was good enough for King and good enough for, oh, I don't know what you might want to call the greatest generation and perhaps a generation or two after it. If it was good enough for them and good enough for the people who risked life and limb to put this country together based on their principles— if it, was, if it was good enough for all those people, why would you want to steal that from our youth, particularly based on the color of their skin? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? I haven't been to schools in a while, partly because of COVID and work and other things. But when I used to go and visit schools on a more regular basis and you went to the underperforming classes – and you asked the students what they wanted and needed most, you know what they said? You know what they said? Almost invariably you would hear a student say, we want to learn what the smart kids are learning. You know what those kids in the smart classes were learning in those AP classes? They were learning what I was learning, and they were learning what probably most of you in earshot of this are learning. And if they weren't learning that in your AP history or English or literature courses or civics courses or world history courses, if you weren't learning that, you were learning something else. You were learning something else. But one thing you weren't learning, the one thing you weren't learning was how best, how best to hate all those people, all those scholars merely because of the color of their skin. That's what you weren't learning. Let's go real quickly to uh, Rob in surprise. Hi, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. Um, great show. Great monologue. Thanks. Uh, I also uh, have to back up uh, and agree uh, with uh, Rick in surprise, uh, Rick in uh, Phoenix. Uh, one of our favorites, um, he was talking about, you know, this whole fear of living thing. Um, my take on it is, and and this is sort of biblically based, I think there is more of a fear of death thing going on. And the reason that there is that is that we have uh, less and less people both going to church and less and less children going to Sunday school and being grounded in 
things like faith and belief in, uh, you know, there is more to life than there is more than just this life. And I think that's where a lot of people have gotten it all wrong. Well, right. Uh, I, I might I put it this way, Rob? There's more to life than surviving. Yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, there's nothing to really fear about death since we're all going to end up there anyway. Um, you know, it's okay to be curious about it. But, but I think that's where everybody is afraid because they're not grounded enough in uh, biblical reality. Um, also, I have to bring up, uh, I would love to get a couple of tickets to your show on the 16th, even though I have to drive a long way, and I wish you guys would come out to the West Valley sometime. Um, I don't know if somebody's been won those tickets yet or not. Um, I'll take uh, whatever you got. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Special pleading. <laughs> Special pleading. I'm on my knees. Special um, pleading. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Anyway. All right. I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. I All right. You. Good. Just, uh, you know, noted with pleasure. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. As some in the military would say. Um, also, actually, when I talked to Bill when I first called in, um, I was actually wrong. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the release of Led Zeppelin Four, the album that had Stairway to Heaven, Black Dog, Rock and Roll, my personal favorite, Misty Mountain Hop, uh, and When the Levee Breaks, which is a lot of people's favorites. Although my personal Led Zeppelin album was their first one. I thought that was one of the best first albums ever, uh, even better than Meet the Beatles, the first album there. Um, kind of a musical aside. And you guys don't even play Led Zeppelin there, do you? I don't know, do we? Do we have to? I don't know. Do we need to? I'm well, looking at Bill. I mean, I, I'm I, looking. Do we need to? Do we need to go back <laughs> to everything I hated in college? Really? <laughs> do we have? Do we? Rob, don't go away. Hold the line a second. We'll be right back. That's as much Led Zeppelin as we're going to get here today. Welcome back, Doug and Maricopa. Hi, Doug. How are you, sir? I'm doing excellent, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. You know, um, I have to kind of answer the rhetorical question you were asking. Why would they not want us to know this? And basically, critical race theory, in my opinion, is a tool of the left and of the radical socialists and communists because it's a lot more difficult to um, try to argue and defeat the ideas of freedom and liberty and capitalism. There's been too many successes historically, but it is far easier to try to get people to feel guilty about race. And so with that guilt, it's easier for them to have us back away from that, those beliefs of the West. And at what I think what it encapsulates totally the difference between the left and the right, and the left doesn't get this, and the right should defend it more, is what do men like you, myself, a, a conservative Christian, and you, a Jewish, faithful Jewish person, and Dennis Prager, and, um, and what do faithful patriot uh, Islamists, what do we have all in common with the black 
you know, what is it? It is the belief. Well, first of all, the black person can be any one of the three you just mentioned. And understanding that is the first point. Yes, it is. Matter of fact, what they don't understand is I I, I was spending 40000 a year back in the 90s to send my son to George Mason University because there was a particular person there that was the head of the economic Walter Williams, I'm guessing. There you go. Yes. Why would I do such a thing if I was the racist white? It wasn't because he was black. No. And it wasn't because he was white; is because he was a free market. You're one of the best economists economist. in the country. You bet. That's, That's why. It. That's why they they don't get that. We are men of ideas. Why do we look to Larry Elder and Thomas Sowell? It is not because they are black. It is because they are great men. I, in you fact, know. wish more people who weren't black spoke like them. And I'll add Glenn Lowry while I'm at it. Yes, there they you are go. our role models, yeah. not for race issues, but for intellectual issues and pursuits. I, I, my guess is Hugh Hallman, who's coming in, will have a few thoughts on, on some of this today, too. Don't forget, the thing about Hugh is, first and foremost, he's an educator and an economist. Secondarily and tertiarily and quadriarily, he is an attorney, although none of that has to do with the quality. It's just where his passions are, kind of like mine, too, I would say. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back with Hugh Hallman. Don't go away. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.